And we must not be asleep at the wheel when God's word, when God's truth, and God's truth tellers are on trial. We must stand boldly and courageously. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you now uh, with hearts that are tender, uh, with hearts that are pliable, with hearts that long for you, O God. And so, Father, may you grab a hold of us right now. Grab a hold of me right now. Father, as I yield myself to you, God, would you grant me your mercy and your strength and your grace in spite of me, not because of me. Oh, Father, I pray you clothe us right now in your spiritual armor. May we see clearly the mission May we look away from self right now and just look to you and your word that your glory may resonate. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to you and only you, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so, Father, give us a great divine unction right now as we listen May we hear clearly, and I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, as we are continuing our study in the book of Acts to see how the first church was formed, how they then became who they were in Christ, and, and truthfully, how they did church. I think so often, if we're not careful and this culture today that we can convolute and overcomplicate what church is and what it should be biblically. And so I want to ask you a question today as you're turning there to Acts chapter 1, and the question simply is this, what is biblical leadership? What is biblical leadership? Uh, Much has been said about the topic. We could go into a bookstore, you could go online, and we could see droves and droves of books regarding what is biblical leadership. But even more, from just a secular standpoint, we would see droves and droves and droves of books of what is leadership. And yet, it's totally possible to be a leader to profess Christ, and yet not be leading biblically. We must retrain the brain because all week long we are inundated from best practices in the business world, best practices in the sports world, best practices in the family world. We're inundated, we're inundated that are seemingly good things, but the question begs to be asked, Are they just good things, or are they truly godly, biblical things? That's why we must run back to the Word of God. Just constantly run back to the Word of God. Chris Larson said this statement, which 
has been seared in my mind for some time now. He said this, and I quote, weak preaching produces weak Christians. The church will rise no higher than the pulpit. Let me say that again. Weak preaching produces weak Christians. The church will rise no higher than the pulpit, end quote. Therefore, let's dive into the Word of God together. Acts chapter 1. And let's look at this as we lead into what is biblical leadership. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 1 says this, In those days, Peter stood up. So here we go. He's leading. Among the brothers, the company of persons was in about 120, it says here in the Scriptures. And he said, brothers, the Scriptures, note this, had to be fulfilled. So he stands up and he goes right to the Scripture, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. There's divine inspiration he's talking about there, going all the way back to the psalmist David, and we're going to see that here in a moment in this text. Concerning what, Judas, who became a guide, listen to this, to those who arrested Jesus. Judas was an actual guide. He was a tool, an instrument of the enemy is what he's saying. Verse 17, for he was numbered among us all and was allotted his share in this ministry. Hmm. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed the king of glory. And he paid a dear price, didn't he? Well, what happened? Well, think about this. And falling headlong, the Bible says here in Acts, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. A horrible, horrible, just a horrible, horrible visual of what happened to Judas. Some people go, well, wait a minute. Uh, didn't he hang himself? Yes, but obviously something else happened here. Uh, perhaps some theologians surmise that he fell as he was hanged and, well, as he crashed to the ground. We can see what the Word of God says right there. Perhaps that's true. That The Bible goes on and says this, verse 19 of Acts chapter 1, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Alkadama, that is the field of blood. Now look at 20, for it is written, there it is, the Bible, going back to Scripture, Peter's talking here, in the book of Psalms, he references David again, going back to Psalm 69, 25 and 109, verse 8, he says this, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So pause there for a moment. So Peter stands up. He's using the Scriptures. He's going right back to the Word of God to lead biblically. He says the Holy Spirit's in this, and then he makes this statement, let us take another. Let's take another. Let another take his office. Look at 21, church. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, 
beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So you pause there for a moment, you see so clearly what's going on here. Here Peter's talking about those two qualifications for this next disciple. He must be one that has journeyed with them before, and he must be an eyewitness to the resurrection. Now look at 23, and they put forward two Joseph called Barabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthew. And then, this is so cool, and they prayed and they said, you, Lord, I love this, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. I love that. To take the place and the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Through his wickedness, he paid a heavy price. And then lastly, 26, and they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 12 apostles. So here we have the situation from this text that, again, if we go back to the first part of Acts, Jesus is gone. He's left the disciples. He's ascended. Crisis number one. What do we do? But now they got crisis number two. We need to replace Judas. How are we going to do this? Well, as we look at the disciples right now together in this passage and understand what is biblical leadership, I believe church will see very clearly several examples that will show us what is biblical leadership. But I also want to take us to a different level. Because if I asked you a question today, If I said, who is the most biblical leader that you can think of? Who is the most biblical leader that you can think of? What would you say? Well, of course, you would say Jesus. How would you grade Jesus on a leadership scale? One to ten. Some might say eight. Probably many would say 27. Let's look for a moment at Jesus' leadership, and let's see what we can learn from him as we look through the lens of these disciples who he, Jesus, has gone. What do we do? Our leader's gone. And oh, by the way, now we've got to replace Judas. Let's see five keys from Jesus' life that will show us what biblical leadership is. Number one, write this down. Key number one, biblical leadership involves pursuing daily desperate prayer with the Father. Let me say that again. Key number one, biblical leadership involves pursuing daily desperate prayer with the Father. Now again, we're looking at five keys from Jesus' life, how he led, how he modeled, how he gave the pattern, how he gave the example. Write down for a moment here, Matthew chapter 26, uh, verses 36 through 46. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Uh, Interesting address there in the Scripture. This is an example from Jesus about prayer. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. Here he is. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he gave them instruction. He's leading them. Now look at verse 39. And going a little farther. I love that. That's a leadership. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he what? He prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, comma, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. There's the pray again. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. Do you see the leadership through prayer here and what prayer does in a believer's life? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now look at 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour, the time is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then he said these words in verse 46, powerful, powerful words. And you talk about leadership. Here's Jesus. He says, rise, get up is what he's saying. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. In the midst of a crisis, Jesus didn't pull from pop psychology he didn't pull from the best practices of the world of that day of modern-day Jerusalem and say, hey, what do you guys think? He simply runs to the Father. He runs to the Father through prayer, and he says, Father, I need your help. I need wisdom. I need discernment. In my hypostatic union, fully man, fully divine, here Jesus is modeling what he's about to do as far as being obedient, but he's also modeling that desperate, dire prayer as a non-negotiable for anyone that wants to be a biblical leader in whatever culture they may live in. I love Christ's boldness. He says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer's at hand. In the moment of crisis, he stares evil in the face. And he simply says, I will confront evil at any and all costs because my heart desires to be obedient, and my heart desires total communion with the Father through desperate prayer. Or write down key number two in your notes. Here's key number two from Jesus, an example from his life of what it looks like to be a biblical leader. Key number two, here it is. Biblical leadership insists that it's not my will, but it's all about God's will and his glory. Key number two. Biblical leadership insists, like there's no wiggle room, this is the one way, that it's not my will, but it's all about God's will and His glory. Boy, we are in a glory war, aren't we? Us humans, we're dealing with our own sin, we're dealing with other people's sin, 
Uh, we have this constant desire to be the show, to be the one. We're grappling from the womb to the tomb on what we should do in this life. And the draw of the flesh, the pull of the flesh, the intoxication of fulfilling fleshly desires and being the one, being the one, just like the Garden of Eden, you will be like God was the lie. No, a biblical leader says it's not my will. A biblical leader pushes others to the front. A biblical leader says, you know what? I want God's will over my will all day long. You say, well, where do we get that? Well, actually, we just read it in those preceding Matthew verses. So let's look at those one more time, a small section. Matthew 26, 39 this time. Matthew 36, 29. Here's what Jesus is doing and going a little farther. So he goes deeper into the presence of God. He takes more risk, if you will. He takes another step to go into that communion with the Father, that vertical communion. And he falls on his face and he prays saying, my Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. God could do anything. So it was possible. But Jesus is pleading saying, let it pass from me. But then there's that comma, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. See, biblical leadership says, hey, this is what I think we should do. I believe we need to go this direction, comma, God, I want you and your will and your glory to supersede whatever I think we should do. Because unlike Jesus, me and you are sinful. Jesus was not sinful. And you and I can miss things. You and I can think it's God's will, and at times it's not really God's will. We must constantly have a nevertheless attitude. We must enter the world of nevertheless every morning, all day long, and when our head hits the pillow, we must be in the land of nevertheless. Think about that. Jesus was a biblical leader the greatest biblical leader that's ever walked this planet, the greatest leader, period, that's walked this planet. And he simply said, it's not about me, God. It's all about you, and I will obey you to in all costs. How about you? How about me? Are we willing to be men and women and students of prayer? Just fervent, desperate prayer, pounding on the door of heaven prayer, crying out to God prayer, Holy Spirit-filled prayer? Are we willing to be those men, women, and students that simply proclaim and just lay all of our glory and all of our desires and all of our hopes and our dreams and our will on the altar? Are we willing to pray those dangerous prayers that go something like this? Oh God, your kingdom come, my kingdom be gone. Oh, Lord, your will be done. My will be exterminated. Are we willing to lead biblically and pray and say and live those thoughts and prayers? Key number three, how Jesus led biblically. Key number three, biblical leadership is about being a person of the Word and pursuing personal holiness. Key number three, write it down. Biblical leadership 
is about being a person of the word and pursuing personal holiness. You will never, church, I will never be able to use the Bible as my sword, as your sword, unless you're actually in the Bible. I know, duh, right? But I want to take that one step further. You will never, I will never, we will never be able to use the Bible as our swords unless we are actually in the Bible and the Bible is actually in us. It's one thing to read the Bible, to just read it, to check off boxes, to get through it, you know, get up and let me glance over a passage, Jesus wept, uh, something real long, something uh, real earth-shaking in our hearts, and boy, we read something in Scripture, we checked off the box, we've checked off the box, and on with our day. Bless me, Jesus. Bless me. No, we must be in the Word, mining the Scriptures, and then writing it on the tablet of our heart. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The psalmist said that your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Now, we don't do this to impress people. We do this because the word is the air we breathe. It literally is our lifeline. It's the sword of the Spirit. You say, well, how do we know that from Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Write down Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 Listen to these words. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, this is after his baptism, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hmm. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, there's no way Jesus was a Baptist. Amen. He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are, okay, here comes the doubt, right? If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Verse 4, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil's like, okay, I'm 0 for 1. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, doubt, 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 if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, wait a minute. Time out here. So, first, Jesus says it is written, and he uses the word against the enemy. Now, the enemy who's sly, now the enemy who's a schemer and a deceiver and the accuser of the brethren, who's a liar and the father of all lies, now the enemy takes Scripture and attempts to distort it for his own gain how crafty he is. Be on your guard. I must be on my guard. 
Well, the enemy says, it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, he quotes, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now look at Jesus' response in verse 7. Jesus said to him, again, it is written. So he comes back with the word. So the enemy takes the word, he twists, he distorts. That's all he does. He's all about seduction and deception. How can I twist and convince human beings that what God is saying is not true? Well, Jesus comes right back with truth. For it is written, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, the enemy's like, okay, Oh, for 2. Again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. See, that's what the enemy wants. The enemy is so craving to be worshiped. He's the most pathological liar you can think of. He's the greatest narcissist that's ever existed. And he wants the preeminence. And he says, worship me, Jesus. And Jesus responds in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil, verse 11, left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him being Jesus. Church, do you see how important this biblical leadership model is of Christ in the midst of his being tempted, which by the way, this is how asinine the enemy is. When he thinks that somehow, that somehow he can trick Jesus, who is perfect, that he thinks somehow he can dupe Jesus, who has all things under his feet, that's the insanity of the enemy himself. And you and I must be on our guard, because even though he's insane, He will play on our weaknesses, our chinks in the armor. He will try to hop over the fence. And once he gets in, oh, he just sows destruction everywhere he goes. We must be on our guard. How do you do that? You take up the offensive weapon. You take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And every time the enemy comes at me and you, we take up that shield of faith as well to quench his fiery darts. But we take that sword and we hit him with the Word. We slash him with the word. Because the Bible tells us as we submit to God and draw near to him, God will draw near to us. And the Bible promises that when we resist the enemy, he will flee. That's the word of God. So in the moment of your pain, if you want to lead biblically, right there's a great example from the book of James. You take the sword of the Spirit, the book of James, the Word of God, and you say, look, here's the deal. I'm going to submit to God. He's going to draw near. He's going to come near to me. And when I do this, when I what, resist the enemy, I say, devil, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am resisting you, not in my own strength, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am resisting you. And the Bible promises when we do that, the enemy will flee. Oh, I pray that you and I are learning right now about biblical leadership, what it really looks like. Not what the business world tells us, not what the coaching world tells us, but what the Bible tells us. We're going to be men and women of prayer. We're going to be people that crave and hunger to lay our will on the altar. We're going to take the Bible, the sword of the Spirit, and That's going to be our guide and our rudder and our offensive weapon. And then fourthly, 
Key number four, biblical leadership is about having biblical courage to stand for and defend the truth. Write that down, key number four. Biblical leadership is about having biblical courage to stand for and defend the truth. Think about this example from the life of Jesus. It's Luke chapter 19. Write this down, Luke chapter 19, verses 45 through 48. And this is one of those where where Jesus is um, upset. You might say he's a little perturbed. Uh, Maybe you might uh, say he's a little ticked off. Uh, What we would say for sure is that he has righteous indignation. He has righteous anger. And here's what the Word of God says in Luke 19, 45. And he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. You got to remember, so uh, there's what's going on. It's, It's all that extortion of that day. There was extortion going on in the temple. People were using it to gain advantage monetarily. And Jesus said, enough. And he goes in there as one of the other gospel says, and he fashions a whip. And he does kind of a walking tall, if you will, going in there. And he's cleaning house. And he says to them, it is written. There it is again. It's written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. They hated him. He was truth. He represented truth. When he spoke truth, it exposed their darkness. Their evil schemes were brought to the surface. All the poison was brought to the surface. They wanted to kill him. They hated him. But 48 says this, but they did not find anything they could do. Why? I love this. For all the people were hanging on his words. You see that? This is so beautiful. So here in this key number four, it's all about having biblical courage to do the right thing. It's about biblical courage to stand in the gap. It's about biblical courage to take a stand. And by the way, know this, that the easy thing to do in life is nothing. The easy thing to do in life when the truth and the truth tellers are on trials is sit on our hands. It takes biblical courage to stand up. But Jesus modeled this. This is part of biblical leadership. The father's house is being decimated with extortion, and Jesus goes, this is not going to happen on my watch. And he begins to fashion a whip. He's turning over tables, and he drives out the evil people. So many people misquote Jesus. So many people mischaracterize him. That he's this docile, weak, mousy man that uh, just took a beating. Well, it's true he took a beating, and I'm so glad he did for me and for you. He'd set us free, and he'd bring us into right standing with God, that, that he might bring us to God. Jesus was nothing remotely regarding Mousy. He was nothing remotely regarding some weak man. This was a carpenter from Nazareth. 
And there he is, and he is turning over tables. He is driving out the evil from the father's house. It's okay to take a stand. It's okay to say, no, we're not going to do this. This is dishonoring to the Lord. This is prideful. It's okay to say these things. We must not be asleep at the wheel when God's word, when God's truth, and God's truth tellers are on trial. We must stand boldly and courageously. Well, lastly, look at key number five. And this is the last key I want to give you about biblical leadership and how Jesus modeled it. Key number five, write it down. Biblical leadership embraces that people will abandon you as you stand for and defend the truth. Let me say this again, key number five. Biblical leadership embraces that people will abandon you as you stand for and defend the truth. So key number four, the previous key, said, look, to have biblical courage as Jesus modeled it, you're going at some point, you're going to have to at some point in your life stand for what is right. Stand for biblical principles. And people will abandon you when you go back to key number five. They're going to look at that. They're going to listen to gossip. They're going to listen to their own narrative. Uh, They're going to listen to everything but the real truth, and they will abandon those people who are actually standing for the truth. And here's the irony in all of this. The people that are standing for the truth are actually doing it to protect the people so often that are actually doing the attacking. But that's how the enemy works. He's so sly. Think about this, though, as well. Remember that the truth of God's word is divisive. Yes, it is. It's light versus darkness. And we become who we hang out with. Standing for the truth, church, today will cost you dearly. It will cost you friendships. It will cost you family relationships. It will cost you work relationships. It will cost you. Standing for the truth of God's word, even though salvation is free, as Bonhoeffer said, Discipleship will cost you your life. And to that point about salvation being free, we ultimately know that salvation is not free in this regard. It costs Jesus dearly. Oh, it's free to us. It's a free gift by His grace and mercy, but it costs Jesus dearly. And that's how He led biblically. No, we must be those people that are willing to embrace that when we stand tall for the gospel, people will abandon us. I mean, think about the examples other than Jesus that would fall into this key number five about being abandoned. I mean, you got Noah building an ark, abandoned. Isaiah just abandoned, sawn in two is what we, th- is what we learn. And Jeremiah is a laughing stock all the day long. People are coming against him. Job lost everything. Friends saying, just get away. Wife saying, curse God and die. Job stays the course. John the Baptist loses his head for the gospel. Stephen gets martyred. Gets martyred as the people gnash their teeth at him as he proclaims the truth. Peter. Church history tells us it was executed upside down on the cross because he did not want to die upright on a cross like his Savior, because he did not feel worthy. And then, of course, Paul. Paul literally referred to as the abandoned disciples. 
For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Alexander the coppersmith has did me much harm. Paul wrote there at the very end, he says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. No one stood with me. And then he says, but the Lord, but the Lord stood with me and it delivered me and delivered me out of the mouth of a lion. Oh, biblical leadership is lonely. Biblical leadership often is filled with a great torture in the battlefield of the mind. And yet you and I know that when we stand with Jesus for His gospel, no matter the trouble, no matter the attacks, we know this, that even if it's just us and Jesus in that equation, we are still always in the majority. Write down this supporting text for a moment. John chapter 6, verse 60 through 71. John 6, 60 through 71. Here is the final example I'm going to give you about biblical leadership from Christ Himself. And this is that key number five that we must embrace that people will abandon us. John 6, verse 60 says it like this. When many of His disciples heard this, they responded and said, this is a hard saying, as they're talking back to Jesus and saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, that's a shocker, grumbling, he said to them, do you take offense at this? He calls them out. That must have been really spooky and weird. Well, this guy knows what we're thinking. Yeah, he's Jesus. He knows everything. 62, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit, capital S, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now look at 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. Wow, He's reading our minds, they must be thinking. Well, how do we know that? Well, right there in parentheses in the Bible, it says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Mm. Wow, painful, but so true. Now look at 65, here it is. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. The Father, He woos, He grants, He stirs, He draws people to Himself. And then here's the verse, verse 66. It's John 6, 66. Yes, John 6, 66. After this, many of His disciples, did you catch that? After this, many of His disciples turned back, they abandoned Him, and they no longer walked with Him. So what does Jesus do? What's his biblical leadership? Chase him down? Go have a conversation? Oh, I know, go have a negotiation with him. Hey, let's negotiate, and maybe if we can hit two of three, we can somehow bring this thing back together. Is that what Jesus did? Well, what's verse 67 say? So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Did you read that? 
Many of the disciples go, this is just too high a price. We're not going to pay this price. It's just too rich for us. We don't got that in the bank. Uh, We're walking away from this. And Jesus then looks at the disciples after not chasing those people who decided to leave. And he looks at the 12 and goes, do you want to go away as well? Well, that will grow your church, won't it? Hmm. But 68, Simon Peter answers him. Listen to what Simon Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Church, I want you to pause for a moment here. We've looked at five keys of who Jesus is through biblical leadership. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of surrendering his will. He's a man that says, I'm going to be in the Word and pursue personal holiness. He's a man that says, I'm going to have courage. I'm going to do hard things and stand for the truth and have a little righteous anger in me. He's also a man who says, I know people will abandon me because of the truth, but I'm going to stay the course. And as you hear those words repeated, how would you truthfully now grade Jesus? I mean, do you understand that if Jesus employed those same biblical concepts in this culture today, he'd be graded as a total flop. I mean, you've got to remember this. It's not like he had some big mega church. You've got to remember that he wasn't the president of some seminary. He ended up executed on a cruel Roman cross. See, so often we just got this thing backwards. We think so often so fleshly when we need to start thinking more often spiritually. Church, you got to remember that Satan's target is your mind and his weapons are lies. So we must fill our minds with the Word of God, end quote. And that was said by someone, and whoever that was, that's a powerful statement. Let me say that one more time. Someone once said, Satan's target is your mind and his weapons are lies. So fill your mind with the Word of God. Biblical leadership approaches every crisis and every challenge through a spiritual lens. You're either looking today through your crises, through your challenges in your home, your business, your ball team, your church, your personal life, you're either looking in only one of two places because you can't look in both. You're either looking through a spiritual lens or a fleshly lens. The question is, which lens will you look through today? God will bless, God will guide, God will give you wisdom and discernment if you look through a spiritual lens. But if you're looking through a fleshly lens, God will not bless. God will not meet you where you are until you fully surrender all to Him. 
You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.